sing or tell me happy birthday. And uh, if you got a Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, there should be one under the row in front of you. If you don't have one, you can borrow to follow along this morning. We are coming down to the last few messages in our journey through Hebrews. When I started this series, I was 40 years old. Can you believe that? I had no gray in my hair or my beard at all. Uh, uh, but uh, it has been a long journey, but a great journey. The main goal of this series has been to show how Christ or Jesus is greater. That's the name of this series. And uh, Hebrews is a masterpiece. It is a theological treasure, but it's also a very practical book. It not only tells you what to believe, but why we believe it, and then how to live it out. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, but it is written and formed around five warnings. And uh, some of you have thought that I got lost in the five warnings, but we still have, we're covering the last one today. And so if you, just as a way of reminder, uh, there are these warnings that were given by this writer um, to the audience, and they are pitfalls. They are to be alarmed. You are to be on watch for these. You are to be alarmed by these. These are things that can push you off your path or it can cause you to stumble in your walk with Christ. And so he has given these five areas to spotlight for you and for the intended audience uh, as he originally wrote this. And first warning he gave them was do not drift away. That was warning number one. It is a nautical term for a ship sailing with the current with no type of motor or rudder at all. It's just following through the current. And the warning is, as a Christian, you cannot, ne you cannot coast through life. You have to be proactive. You have to pursue Jesus Christ. And if you just go the way of the world or you just coast, there's only one way you stay going, and that's downhill, right? And so we don't drift away. You've got to be sure to follow Jesus. Number two, do not harden your heart or to uh, stop your ears, which means you do not hear the voice of the Lord. God will call to you. God will, uh, you know, ask you or, or uh, come to you and uh, uh, tell you things or to, uh, through his word, will instruct you. We are not to harden our hearts towards the Lord. We are not to push him away. That was warning number two. Warning number three was do not fall away. The word meant to apostatize. Um, it is to know the truth, but to not live it out. To become so accustomed to the ways of Christianity and the ways of God that you can quote them, you can know them, but you don't live them. You can be uh, you know, a Christian on Sunday, but it not impact you the rest of the week in your life. Your job, your marriages, and all that stuff, you just push it away. You apostatize to the message of Jesus Christ. The fourth warning, which was the last warning we had went over, was do not willfully sin. Uh, do not go out pursuing a path of sin for your life. Because when you do, there's great danger in that. And this morning we come to warning number five. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Chastening is discipline. It also says scourges. So do not despise the chastening of the Lord. That's all five of them. Do not drift away. Do not harden your heart. Do not fall away. Do not willfully sin. And fifth, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. And I know this is not a very popular topic because we don't like to talk about the discipline of the Lord, but it's necessary. It's something that we need to hear. It's not always what we want to hear. It's what we need to hear. And so this morning, we're going to talk about God's discipline and how we are to respond to it. And so Hebrews chapter 12, 
verses 3 through 13. I'm going to read these. I won't be able to get to all of these scriptures, but I hope to give you the context. And hopefully you'll go back and look at this later this week. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 13. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. He's talking about Jesus here. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have not forgotten the, and you and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening as uh, as God deals with you as sons, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid respect to them. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they, for a few, uh, for they indeed, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, talking about God, for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed." I'm amazed each and every week of the passage of Scripture we read from Hebrews, but this one is especially uh, just challenging. And what I love about Hebrews is it gives it to you straight. It looks you right in the eye, so to speak, and tells you what you need to hear. Not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And I've heard so many people talk about God and recently in a culture, uh, cultural push and even through Western Christianity that God will just have to accept you however you are, even as a Christian. You are, God is some sort of cosmic teddy bear that after you come to Christ and you can uh, just push God over and say, God, you're just going to have to be happy with me because this is just the way that I am. And I'm going to live a lifestyle of sin or pursue a lifestyle of sin, and you're just going to have to deal with it. You're just going to have to get over it. But as you read the Bible, you realize that is bad theology. It's bad theology because God, uh, theology always starts with God. It is God who tells us. It is not us who tells God. It is God who sets the standards and the rules of engagement, not the other way around. And I know this is popular in our culture right now because we all see this happening even in a shift in parenting. In parenting, the new uh, way to say is that parents need to be passive. Support your kids in the decision they want to make for their life. You are there just to support them and whatever they choose or wherever they want to go or whatever they choose to do, just, just be there for them and let them go their own way. Can I give you a Greek word for that kind of parenting? Hogwash, all right? That's a good Greek word for you today. Hogwash, all right? Uh, that's a lie. It's a lie because parents have a role. Parents have a purpose. Parents are guides and instructors to those children. And mostly because children do not know the way. They, have, they lack discernment. 
I'm always amazed by people who say, I trust my children. I want to say to them, you know they eat their own boogers, right? You do realize that. They, they play in the street. They don't eat their food, right? Food, they, they have uh, this discernment about them that is not there. And you say you believe them and trust them more than you believe yourself. Or, or they just don't have that discernment. And parents... Let the kids set the rules of engagement for their home. Almost like instead of obeying the parents, parents obey their children, which is crazy. But you know, the same is true with God. A lot of times with God, people say, God's just going to have to put up with me. He's just going to have to listen to what I have to say. And they, want, they think they tell God, but it's the other way around. We do not tell God as his child what to do. He tells us. And when we get off track... When we do things that, are not, uh, that we're not supposed to be doing, God will correct us. God will discipline us. God will chasten us. And that's the first point I want to point out to you, the, the requirement of discipline, the requirement of this. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So you say, is discipline necessary? yes. A resounding yes. Discipline is for God's children. This is not talking about lost people. This is not talking about the world. This is talking about those who have claimed Jesus Christ or put their faith and trust in the Lord. And it's necessary for God's children because He loves us. And because He loves us, He chastens us. He disciplines us. And you might say, well, why is it necessary? Well, it's necessary Because we have a mission, we have a purpose as a child of God. We are saved by grace, by the grace of God, by faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And and we are saved from the punishment of sin. Immediately, the penalty of sin, we are declared righteous before God. But after we are sinned, after we are saved, there's still a sin nature in us. And this sin nature still desires sinful things. And God puts us through a process of making us more like Jesus Christ in our life. He takes those things that are sin in our life and he turns them into righteousness. That is the goal of us being saved. And then one day, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. And when we get glorified in our, in our resurrection bodies. But until then, like I said many times, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we're going to be saved. Three theological words for you that like theology. One, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification, you are saved by the, from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, you are saved by the, from the power of sin. And then just glorification, you are saved from the presence of sin. And what he is talking about here and what we are talking about this morning is sanctification. This is the time in between you confess and believe in Jesus Christ and until he calls you home. Until that he calls you home and after you've professed Jesus Christ, there's a process of sanctification in your life. And everyone likes to talk about the sweet by and by, but nobody likes to talk about the nasty now and now, right? This is where we live. This is how we live. This is what we work out in our life. And that's what sanctification is. An easy definition for sanctification is turning sinners into saints. It's a long process. It's a difficult process. It's a process that takes the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God to do this. But it will happen in your life. And this process of sanctification is taking you 
and making you more like Jesus Christ in every area of your life. And, and that's what it's all about. You becoming more like Jesus Christ in your marriage, in your parenting, at your job, in your character, in your walk. And yes, we have a long way to go, but Jesus begins to work in our hearts and our lives, and He begins to make us more and more like Him every single day. And there are many things that go into that process, but one of the main ways uh, through this process, which is necessary, is the discipline of the Lord. Now, we may not like it, but it's necessary. We sin, and when we sin, we're not like Jesus. And we like our sin, and we want to sin, but yet God will discipline us. It's the tool that God uses to, uh, to, to push us away from sin. And it's not out of hate, it's out of love. It's because God loves us, and He loves us so much, He doesn't want to leave us the way that we are. He, he, out of His love, He chastens us. And discipline is a required course for every believer. You don't get a pass on this one. You don't get to opt out of this course. And when discipline happens in our life, it's different uh, and sometimes, but they all have a common elements. Number one is we sin. When we sin, we begin the process of discipline in our life. And when we sin, when we, when we get angry, when we lust after something, when we covet something, when we neglect something in our life, when we lie or when we steal, that sin begins a process of discipline in our life. It begins by God beginning this process of bringing us this sin to our attention to be able to deal with our sin. And by the way, this is a great indicator to determine between discipline and trials and tribulations. You know, a lot of us as Christians, we always want to say, oh, I'm just going through a lot of trials and tribulations. No, you're being disciplined by the Lord, right? Here's a good indicator. Trials and tri tribulations are brought on by righteousness, something you do right. Discipline of the Lord is brought on by sin. So in your life, if you have a sin in your life or you are, you are going down a path of sin, you will be disciplined. That's not trials and tribulations. That's why when I get sick or something happens in my life, the first thing I do is start confessing all my sins. I'm like, Lord, what is it that I'm walking through? And if it's something I've done, reveal that to me because I know I do not want the chastening hand of the Lord in my life. And yet through hardships and through these other things that God brings to our life, He begins to chasten us because of the sin that we commit. And that sin breaks fellowship with God. I, I didn't say it broke your relationship with God. I said it breaks your fellowship with God. Darkness does not dwell with light. And when we sin, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And if it doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit, it quenches the Holy Spirit. And there's an immediate breaking of fellowship with God that happens when we sin. And we are God's children, but yet the fellowship can be broken. And you feel disconnected from God. You feel a distance between you and the Lord. You feel like God is a million miles away from you. And your joy evaporates and your peace is shredded. And you have this angst in your heart because the closeness of God is not in your life anymore. And there's a real emptiness that comes when the fellowship of God is broken in your life and it affects every area of your life. Married folks understand this. When you are broken in your fellowship with your spouse, you are not getting along. You are in an argument or something is, is between you and your spouse. When you, wherever you go, things are just not quite right. 
at your, your, you're mad at your workplace and you're mad at church and you're mad here because you're fussing and fighting with the one that you're connected with in your life, which is your wife, right? And if you're out of fellowship with your spouse, you're out of fellowship with everyone else. And for the men, we know if mama ain't, mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? That's the way it works. And yet when we are in sin, or yet we are in sin, we are out of fellowship with God, and that fellowship is broken. And what happens? God convicts us of that. God comes, and he reveals it to you. He reveals it to me. And uh, many times people come to me and say, well, I don't really know what is wrong with my life. And I always say, well, just take a few guesses. I'm sure you can get pretty close, right? The problem is not that we don't know what our sin is, is we don't want to admit our sin, right? Because God will convict us of our sin. It comes through a sermon. It comes through another person. It comes through a situation. And immediately your heart is under conviction. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we uh, are downhearted. Sometimes we know the conviction falls and we know we are not right with God. We know we are pursuing a relationship we shouldn't. We know we are saying things we should not say. We know we are things in our heart and it convicts us. It convicts us immediately, and it's a good thing when you're convicted. When you're convicted, that means God is dealing with your heart. And so you have two choices. You can either repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, or you can continue down your path, and you can, uh, you can enter into the full discipline of the Lord. And, and the choice is yours, and the choice is mine. The discipline of the Lord comes, and you can ask yourself, how long, how much will God do? As much as he needs, right? He can, he starts slow, but yet he continues that process and he will take you as far as you can go. And like in my life, when I was a kid, my dad would always tell me, you can do this the easy way or you can do this the hard way, right? And so many times in our life, yet when God's conviction comes, we know we must deal with it. And the question is, how are we going to deal with it? And what are we going to do with the sin? Because God will not allow his children to sin successfully. He won't let it happen. And if you think you're going to live a lifestyle of sin and God is just going to sweep it under the rug and God's never going to confront you or convict you, you got the wrong God. It is God who loves us and he will chasten us and he will scourge us and he disciplines us for our own good. He wants to bring peaceable righteousness in our life. And so discipline is a requirement of sanctification for our life. And your response to it makes all the difference in the world. So discipline is required, but discipline also has, you need to respond to discipline. When you're disciplined, you don't have a choice. But when you have a choice, is how you're going to respond to that. Hebrews gives us two bad responses. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Verse 5 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. First warning, do not despise. Bad response number one, when we despise the discipline of the Lord. To despise means to hate to scorn, to loathe, or to become disgusted with. So when God disciplines us, when we react with disdain, when we react with despise in our heart, then that is a wrong response to discipline in the Lord. And really at the heart of this is, is our heart. Because in the center of all this is God wants you to move away from your sin and love Him more. And the pleasure of sin many times makes us despise the discipline of the Lord because we like what we're doing. It feels good to us. 
but the discipline of the Lord makes us know we can't continue in that. And so many times people despise that and we begin to loathe God and we begin to push him away. When I think of this, I think about teenagers with their parents. How many of you have ever had the blessing of raising teenagers, right? Teenagers uh, come to a point in their life where they think you sit up with your spouse at night to determine how miserable you can make their life, right? They think that's exactly what you do. That they, they can do no wrong, and when you do something to them, you are picking on them, right? That your entire goal of parenting is to make their life miserable. That's all there is to it, right? I've heard a pastor say the stages of life in parenting is when you're a child, you idolize your parents. They can do no wrong. You want to be like them. You want to mimic them. You want to walk like them, talk like them, and they're, they're your idol. Then when you're a teenager, you demonize your parents, right? They, they do everything wrong. They could do nothing right. But then he said, when you become an adult and you have children, you humanize your parents. You realize they have done the best they could do, and they're just humans. And listen, when we love sin more than God, we despise the chastening of the Lord. He is going to discipline us, and we must not despise it. It is a bad response for you to think that God just wants to punish you. He does not want to punish you. He is disciplining you out of love, not hate. He loves you, and he wants you to do better, and so you should not despise it. That's bad response number one. Bad response number two is being discouraged by it. It says you despise it, and then you're also discouraged by the discipline of the Lord. Discouragement means you lack the courage to change. That means you know the truth, but you lack the ability or the courage to do the right thing. So when God disciplines us, a bad response is the lack, is to, is the lack of courage to do the right thing. You say, well, how does that sound? Well, we say things like, God is just picking on me. And he knows I can't help myself. I'm, I was born this way. I'll always be this way. I can't change. I can't help myself. My dad used to tell me when I'd have a pity party. You ever have a good pity party, right? You just have, get really sad and you have the poor pitiful me act. He'd always come in my room and he would tell me, the same clothes you're getting sad in is the same clothes you're going to be glad in. You know why? Because it's not going to change. Because only you can change it and your heart can change it. And when you come to the response of discipline in your life, don't be someone who says, I can't do it because you can. And you can do that. And don't be discouraged by the discipline of the Lord. Well, how should we respond? Look at verse 9 through 10. He tells us here, he says, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of the spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us and as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. What are the responses we should have? Respect and submission. So not despise and not be discouraged, but have respect and have submission to that discipline in our life. And the writer uses the example of an earthly father. If you had an earthly father that corrected you, how did you respond to that? You responded with respect. I did not always agree with my dad. I was not always best friends with my dad, but I always respected my dad. You know why I respected my dad? Because when he disciplined me, I knew that was his job. I knew that was his role, that he was doing something good for me. And that God had called him to keep me and put me on a, a right track and to discipline me when I was not on that track. 
When, when he would not discipline me, he was neglecting his duty, and I respected his authority in my life. I respected him, and God is far much greater than any earthly father. That's what the writer is saying. And if you give respect to an earthly father, how much more respect should you give to God? He is doing his role. He is, he is doing what's best for our life, and we should respect that. And respect comes from fear and reverence. I know we don't like to talk about the fear of God, but the Bible talks about uh, a lot. We are to respect God out of fear and reverence for Him. And what happens through that process is we put God above all else in our life. That above our sin and above everything else, we desire to please God more than we want to please ourselves and the world. And the desires of our heart become the desires of God because we put Him in His rightful place. And if we don't do that, we must expect God to do something about it. Because God is not a pushover. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when you, and you have Him as Savior of life, He is the Lord of your life as well. And when God speaks, we are to listen. What God says is the matter. You're not to blow it off or disrespect Him. You are to respect what He says. And we ought to respect His role. He's not slacking on His job. He's being a good, heavenly Father. I know many times we get upset. We throw a temper tantrum. And we despise it. And we push God away. But through discipline, we should respect it. We should embrace it. And we should know that God is being God in our lives. And we, we have no business taking God out of that role and pushing him to the side. Not only respect, but submit. Not only caring what God says, but doing something about it. Realizing it's his way, not your way. It is submitting to him. And when it comes down to it, it is about surrender. God disciplines us and we surrender to God and we stop sinning. We stop pursuing the things that he tells us not to pursue. And we are to submit to that discipline and we are, regardless of how we feel about it. We are not to continue in sin and tell God to get over it. We are to repent of our sins and we need to get over it. And a child of God, like I said, can never enjoy a consistent current lifestyle of sin and think they have a real relationship with God. Because God loves us and he cares for us so much that we submit to him. And as we submit to him, what's the, what's the process that happens? We become partakers of righteousness. That's what it says. We become part of the righteousness of our life. And our life is marked by a life that is becoming more righteous, not less righteous. Like I said, sanctification has a purpose. It's to make us more like Jesus Christ. And in that process, God takes us and he separates our sins and, he par and we partake in righteousness. We are to be more like him. Romans 8.29 tells us, For him who he, for he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You know the word conform? You know what that means? To squeeze you into a mold. That means in our heart and our lives and everything we do, we should be squeezing into the mold to be like Jesus Christ. That everything he does in our heart and our life, we should let the Spirit of God make us more like Jesus Christ. And when sin is in our life, we are not like Christ and God will come to discipline us. And we need to shed that sin and respect God and submit to that because we want to be partakers of righteousness. And what happens when we do that? That's the third point, the results of discipline. Look at verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The first part of this verse states the obvious, right? 
When discipline happens, it is not joyful. It is not joyful. Anybody ever been taken to the woodshed? Some of you might say, no, that's what's wrong with you anyways. Everybody needs a trip to the woodshed, right? My dad used to tell me when I was born, I mean, when I was growing up, he said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I was like, give me that belt. I'll show you, I'll show you which one hurts, right? Listen, nobody likes to be disciplined. And whether it's a, a spanking or whether you get on restriction, didn't you used to hate restriction when you was a kid? And you had extra chores you'd have to do, or maybe you get your stuff taken away from you, right? It's not joyful. You don't like it. You don't want to do it. But yet you know you have to do it. And it's not joyful. Discipline of the Lord is not joyful. It is something that comes to your life that's not, it's not joyful. And it's not going to be joyful in the moment. When you have to give up what you like or what you are desiring for the discipline of the Lord. But nevertheless, he says, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So it's the necessary purpose of discipline in our life that produces only what it can produce in our life. That it is necessary. And when we go through that process, it is not joyful, but it yields a fruit that can come no other way. And through that process and through the discipline, we are trained, or yet it yields this fruit of righteousness in our life. You know, how pleasant is it to meet respectful young men and women in our culture today, right? You don't many, meet many of them anymore, but yet many times when you see a, a young man or a young woman and they say, yes, sir, or no, sir, or yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, or they look you in the eye or they hold the door for you, it's pleasant, right? And you think, man, now that is a great, great child or that is a great young man or a great young woman you think that just happens that doesn't happen that means they were trained by their parents their parents invested in their life their parents taught them right from wrong their parents influenced them and then after that process though you know it wasn't pleasant because it's happened in my life as well when I wasn't respectful I didn't do what I was supposed to do I was trained by my parents I was disciplined by them but in the long run, it produced this respect. It produced this, this peaceable righteousness. And when there is fruit, there's always been the work put in. And when you meet someone who loves Jesus Christ, who loves his word, who has the fire of the Holy Spirit in their lives, who is walking with the Lord with great zeal, it just didn't happen in their life. That person has been through training and discipline through the Lord and he, they have allowed God to work in their hearts that brings a result no other way in their life. And it's not the easy way and it's not the short route, but it's the right way. And it is the way that God uses to bring righteousness in our life. And so many of us despise and we get discouraged from the discipline of the Lord. Discipline of the Lord. We never get to the reward. We always have the pain, but yet we never push through for the reward. We get so short-sighted and we get so discouraged and we always give up right before the reward will come. And if we can push through the, uh, the, uh, the parts that hurt and the parts that are not joyful, we will get to the reward. But so many times we quit halfway through or we give up. Dr. Uh, Homer Lindsay used to share a story. And uh, he used to be the First Baptist Church of, of Jacksonville pastor. And uh, he shared a story of a time when his grandfather, and his grandfather was plowing a garden. And in this garden, he said that he, his grandfather would till the ground, and he told him, I'm going to till and plow up these rows. Your job is to put the seed in. 
And so he gave him a stick and he gave him a, a, a little thing of seeds and he said, your job is to poke a hole in the ground, put one seed in there and cover it over and then one foot past that, do it again and again and again all the way down the rows. And so he said his grandfather plowed the rows and he plowed down one side and plowed down the other and plowed another and he said he, plant, he plowed about five rows. And he said by the time he got done plowing five rows, he wasn't even done with the first row yet. And so his grandfather said, oh, I'm going to take a break, and he went inside. And so Dr. Lindsay said he got out there, and he said he wasn't the hardest of workers. And so he said it was hot, and he was tired, and his back hurt, and he was tired of digging the hole and covering it up. So he got halfway down the second row, and he said, I'm just going to put all the seed in one hole. And so he dug a little hole, and he just dumped all the seed in there, and he covered it over. And he went inside, and he told his grandfather, he says, I'm done. He says, man, that was really fast, son. He said, you did a great job. And he said, yeah, I went all the way down every row. And he said, you got every row? He said, I got every row. And he said his grandfather paid him, and he said two weeks later, he came back, and his grandfather says, as little sprigs were going up, he said, I want to show you something. He said, every first row was perfect. The second row, all the way down, about halfway, he said, and all of a sudden, poof, a bunch of little things were sprigging out. And he said, his grandfather looked at him, he says, now what do you think happened here? And he said, he finally had to confess. He said, I got tired and I took a shortcut. And because of that shortcut, the harvest was, did not come that his grandfather was expecting. And you know what? That's what happens in our life. When we, when we disrespect God and we despise God's discipline in our life, we don't push through the hard stuff to get to the harvest. We're always going to be short-sighted. We're never going to be more like Jesus the way we're supposed to be. And our lives will be broken and our lives will be full of sin. And our lives will always bring a mark to the testimony of God's power in our life because we don't push through. And as a Christian, you can't despise the chastening of the Lord. You have to embrace it. And you have to push through the hard stuff to be able to get to the reward. And then the reward is the harvest of becoming more like Christ every single day. And in your marriage, that's what you need. In your parenting, that's what you need. In your life, that's what you need. You need to be more like Christ in those areas. And it comes through the necessary process of God disciplining us with sin in our life. And in closing... He puts this little exhortation to us in verses 12 and 13 of Hebrews chapter 12. It's a great exhortation. He looks at him and he says, Therefore, saying what I had to say about discipline, strengthen the hands which hang low and the feeble knees, verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. He exhorts them, strengthen your hands. Like, like, grip, make a grip because they're hanging down. Your knees are wobbly. He's like, strengthen up those feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. And when you do that, you will, you, what is lame will not be dislocated and they will be healed. Can I give you my translation of this? Pull your bootstraps up and be a Christian. That's what he's telling them. He's like, trust in God and stop pushing against Him. And you are weak and your life is suffering the consequences because you are despising the discipline of the Lord in your life. He's like, take responsibility and quit feeling sorry for yourself and quit despising and being discouraged by God's discipline. Strengthen your hands and, and the work of the Lord and make, make your knees straight again and pass straight and because you have this choice to make to respect and submit to God's discipline in your life and let it make your path straight so that you won't be out of joint, but you may be healed. And so many times in our life we forget the warning. 
And if we, don't forget, if we forget the warning, we continue down the path, we will be dislocated. You know, uh, discipline is like those new fancy auto assists in a car. You know, the, the things in a car. I, I had uh, Brian Lee, who has been uh, serving our men's ministry, and he came to me and asked me, what can I do to help you? I said, well, you can do the welcome, and you can read the prayer. And by the way, he stepped up and did it this morning. I appreciate people that step up and do that. So Brian come to me, and he says, I want to take you to lunch. And so I got this fancy new truck he's got, right? And so this new truck, he's got lane assist. And he says, watch this, watch this. And he goes, I'm going to act like I'm going to run off the road, you know? And so as it goes off the road, it begins to shake, and it makes a little blink up there. And he says, now, what's really cool about this is if you get too far to the right, it buzzes your right cheek. And if you get too far to the left in your seat, it buzzes your left cheek. I thought, well, that's kind of strange, but all right. Anyway, so right cheek, left cheek, all right. Anyway, that tells you you're out of your assist, and it shakes the seat, and it corrects the steering, and it warns you. It's a warning to tell you if you continue in the path that you are going, you're going to go out of your lane, you're going to end up in a ditch, or you're going to end up hurting yourself or someone else, and out of love or out of, just, uh, out of this warning, it tells you that it's going to save your life if you will respond properly to the lane assist. That's what God's discipline does. God's discipline doesn't want to ruin your marriage. It wants to make the best marriage you could ever have. God's discipline doesn't want to ruin your life. It wants to make you have the best life you can have. God's discipline doesn't take all the fun away. It puts righteousness in your life. God's discipline doesn't want to push you away from God. It wants to draw you close to God so you can have a real relationship with Him and real fellowship with Him. And you can have a closeness with God that you don't have any other way. That you will be more like Christ in your life because of this discipline in your life. So don't despise it. And don't push it away because it will bring peaceable fruit in your heart. And I love this story of David in the Old Testament. He's one of my favorites in the Old Testament. You say, what's so great about David? Well, David was told of David. He, had a, he was a man after God's own heart. You say, wow, that man must have been a really good man. Well, not really. David had a lot of sin in his life. And David did break fellowship with God many times. Many, uh, many times David was not perfect. But David always returned to the Lord. David always responded to the discipline of the Lord in his life, and it made him closer to God, not further from God. And one instance, when he had sin with Bathsheba, which was a major sin in his life, he wrote two Psalms. He wrote Psalm 32, and he wrote Psalm 51. If you, I'd encourage you to read Psalm 32. But I want to share with you just Psalm 51. And this was his response to God's discipline in his life. This was his response to God's hand being heavy upon him. And God sent a servant to point at him and say, you are the man. You have sinned against God. This was, this was David's response. In Psalm 51, I want to read the first 12 verses. It says this, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me no to know wisdom." 
Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast away me from your away from your presence and do not take your holy spirit from me restore to me the joy of of your salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. Is that not good? I mean when you think about that with the discipline of God in your life and when God disciplined David this was his response. And this morning, rather than despising it, chasing it, Lord, and maybe you're being in that process right now. God is convicting you. God is bringing discipline in your life. May you pray and may you seek God and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, that I want you to restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit because he will do that. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this morning, rather than pushing God away, we should respect God, we should welcome him in our lives, and we should submit to his will for our lives. And I pray that we will do that this morning. And I pray uh, that we will do that in each and every one of our hearts. And I pray that when God brings us to our hearts and our lives that we will confess instead of cover and we will embrace instead of despise and we will live a lifestyle of righteousness rather than unrighteousness and I pray that we will do that if you bow your heads and close your eyes with me Heavenly Father we come before you God and I know many times we, we come with heavy hearts Lord and this morning as we come, Lord, I pray for our own hearts and lives. Lord, I pray for each and every person in here, Lord. Maybe they come to a point in their life where they realize, you know what? That's why God's hand was upon me. That's why, that's why the Lord has been uh, trying to get my attention. And there are things in my life that I know shouldn't be there. And I, I, should, I should respond to the discipline of the Lord and embrace it rather than despise it. And maybe this morning God has convicted you of something in your life. Lord knows in my life, he has done that many, many times of things that have cost me a fellowship with the Lord. And I know that the joy of the Lord is not in my heart and his fellowship is not with me. Not that God has forsaken me, but yet that I have forsaken him and that that fellowship has been broken. And this morning, I pray as you lift up your heart to the Lord, say, God, I embrace that in my life. I confess that in my life. And Lord, I want to be more like Jesus in every area of my life. And Lord, if there's some area that I'm not, show me, Lord. Show me your ways. Show me your, show me your righteousness so that I can repent and trust in you more, God. And I pray this morning, God, as we lift up our hearts to you, that many may not even know you, God. That they come and they say, you know what? I, I don't have that leading in my life. I don't, have that, I don't have that God as my father. Listen, this morning that can happen. Uh, before repentance and before uh, turning from your sins and, and pursuing righteousness comes this conversion of the heart. And this morning you can confess Jesus Christ and you can come to him by faith and trust alone and say, God, I want you to be my father. I want you to guide my life, Lord, because I've made a mess of it. My life is, has no meaning and no purpose, and I want to be more like you, God. And this morning you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and the Bible says you can become born again. 
And when you become born again, you become put into the family of God. And from this day forward, you can say, God, from this day forward, I want to pursue you. And I want to pursue your will for my life. The Bible calls that getting saved. And this morning, if you're here, maybe you just need to lift your heart to the Lord and say, God, save me. I trust in Jesus Christ, and I want you to be my heavenly father. Or maybe you're here this morning, you have a friend, you have a spouse, you have a coworker, and you, they know God, and they know the Lord, but yet you know they are walking away from him. They are doing things and pursuing things in their life, in their marriage, or their home that you know is not right. And this morning, what a great privilege it is to be able to lift them up in prayer and just pray for them that they will embrace the Lord and not choose the path to go away from God, but to embrace God's discipline in their life and to return to the Lord and repent from their ways. And this morning, you can be someone who lifts up that person to the Lord and say, God, I pray for that, and I pray that they will turn to you, Lord. God, I pray this morning as we consider this great truth, Lord, of you being a good heavenly father, Lord, that it will, it will show us your love and your mercy and your kindness that you've had for us, Lord. And rather than push you away, I pray we will embrace and respect you more in our hearts and our lives this morning and submit all our ways to you, Lord, that we may know you more and bring you more glory in our lives. I, we're going to play a song. As we play this song, I just encourage you right where you sit. We have a time of invitation and commitment. If you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and just uh, spend a few moments seeking God in your own heart and life, and just say, God, here's my heart. Here's my life. Speak to me this morning, Lord.